94 tonight. Psalm 94. Uh, several folks, uh, when I say folks, several commentators say that Psalm 94 is strategically placed after Psalm 93 uh, from a standpoint that we should be keeping what is said in Psalm 93 in mind as we go into Psalm 94. That is, the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. He's clothed with strength. And uh, Psalm 94 is really an application of that. So it might be helpful for you to, to keep that in mind as we read and then Unpack what's here in Psalm 94. Start reading in verse 1. It says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, you brutish among the people and you fools, when will you be wise? He that planted the ear... Shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers, or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, My foot slippeth, Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. And so this Psalm 94 is, um, it's a bit of a mixture as far as trying to theme the Psalm. I mean, it's not a lament Psalm, uh, although we get some questions in Psalm 94 that would be uh, consistent with a lament Psalm. How long, Lord? That's a, that's a question we see a lot. Um, an imprecatory psalm is one of those psalms where the psalmist is asking God to judge his enemies, to, to take vengeance on his enemies. And this is definitely uh, one of those, although everything that's being said in this psalm doesn't really fall in line with that. We see a, a mixture of God's uh, vengeance being prayed for, but also we see God's blessings on his people. And we also see the psalmist encouraging and calling God's people to hope in Him and hope in Him alone. But the way the, the psalm begins, 
O Lord, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. It reminds us of a very familiar passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. In a lot of ways, this passage here in Romans 12 is fleshing out in some specifics what we find here in Psalm 94. If, if, if the psalm is, is a psalm that is appealing to God as the God of vengeance to take vengeance, then it has to be at the same time a psalm where the psalmist here is seeking to trust God for who he is. To trust that God will do what God has said he would do. Okay. Now, asking God for vengeance or asking God to take vengeance is not a neutral request. Okay? What I mean by that is, that's an emotionally charged request. Something has had to happen before you ask that. It's not your normal bedtime prayer. Okay, And so Psalm 94 is really seeking to lay hold of this attribute of the Lord and not just acknowledge that it exists, but, but to... To, to lay hold of it and trust that God really is going to do what God says He will do. And the things that belong to God, God will eventually take, even if we have to wait on those things. And so one thing that's helpful when we think about these kinds of psalms is, um, is to, to get a, a, a definition. What is it? What is vengeance? What is vengeance? Well, it's, it's very close in definition. It's very close to the whole concept of taking revenge. Um, but it's not the same. Uh, Webster's 1828 is helpful here. He did not come up with this distinction. Someone before him did that I can't, re- I can't remember who, their name, but, but Webster's borrows this and he says that there's a distinction between taking revenge and taking vengeance. Revenge is dictated by passion. Vengeance by justice. Okay, so revenge is something that you do out of reaction, out of a passionate response. But vengeance, or that's the same thing as thinking about God as the avenger of His people, that's that's just simply executing justice. So God's vengeance flows out of God's justice. And whenever we think about the psalmist here praying to God, to whom vengeance belongs. We can't take the stinger out of this thing. God's vengeance and God's wrath go hand in hand. God takes vengeance by pouring out His wrath on His enemies. And so one of the things that we see 
is that God's vengeance, God's wrath, and we're setting up the psalm here, but God's vengeance and His wrath is part of His holy, His just, and His perfect character. What we mean by that is this, although this is not anything, this is not something that's typically highlighted. It's not something that's typically on somebody's favorite sermon series list. Were God void of vengeance and wrath, he would not be perfect. He would not be holy. And he would not be just. You cannot love good without hating evil. You cannot, um, you cannot love righteousness. I mean, Habakkuk tells us that God is so holy that he can't even look upon sin. You can't love righteousness and tolerate unrighteousness. And we could even flesh this out more as far as unrighteousness being a personal offense to God. Right? The creator of, of all the world. What are we talking about when we're talking about unrighteousness? Well, a righteous and just God created the world and then he, he gave his law to govern it. And every time you say, no thanks God, that's unrighteousness. That's wickedness. And it's spitting in the face of God. And the way that this world works is that one day, God will judge the world according to His law. Those of us who are found in Christ... That judgment was poured out on him. Those who are not will face this vengeance and wrath. But nevertheless, this is a just vengeance. It's a just wrath. You should not picture God as someone who's just flying off the handle, upset because he's finally had enough. You should picture God in this sense as the God who is handing down judicial justice. He's doing what's right. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 32 when we think about vengeance being part of God's character. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, starting in verse 39. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 39. He says, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning uh, of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and his people. That's a pretty gruesome passage there as far as what God is describing himself uh, to be a God who will wet his sword, a God whose arrows will be drunk with blood, a God who will take vengeance on his enemies. But but you even see it here is vengeance upon his enemies is really the way that God avenges his people. 
And so it's for his sake, but it's also on behalf of his people. It's also in it's also um, an act of justice based on the injustice that has been done to his people. And so that we can look at a passage like Romans 12 and say, yes, vengeance belongs to God. God's keeping a tally. God is going to set all things right and he's going to do it rightly. And that includes avenging his saints. I'm not going to go here, but Revelations chapter, uh, Revelation 6, uh, 15 through 17 talks about the, the, the wrath of the lamb. And it, it says when the, when the wrath of the lamb comes, who can stand? Who's going to be able to stand? The kings and the, the powerful men are going to be crying out for the mountains to fall upon them because they cannot stand before the wrath of the Lamb. We're talking here about Jesus Christ at His second coming. This is really the fullest expression of God as the avenger of His people. Sometimes people think about the God of the Old Testament being the God who was angry, but Jesus is the gentle Lamb who, who wouldn't hurt a flea, but that's just not the case. The culmination of God's wrath will be poured out on His people at the second coming of Jesus Christ as He comes to conquer His enemies. So, setting up the psalm with that, I think it's important that we set it up with that because the psalmist maybe doesn't have Revelation 6 in mind, but the psalmist is certainly thinking about passages like Deuteronomy 32. If he weren't, this prayer wouldn't make any sense. He, he assumes that the fact that God is a God of vengeance is working in his favor, or else he wouldn't pray it. Okay? And you should assume the same thing if you've come to know him and love him. While his, his vengeance is really it's, it's terrifying if we take it seriously, his vengeance is working for the good of his people. So let's look at the... Let's look at the psalm itself. I know it's a longer psalm, but we're not. It's, it shouldn't be a longer psalm as far as the time we spend in it. We're going to look at four divisions here. Number one, verses one through seven, we see a prayer for vengeance. A prayer for vengeance. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things, and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger, and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. First in verses one through two, we just see an appeal. We see an appeal. This is almost an appeal. This Psalm 94 fits along the lines of Habakkuk. The appeal is almost as if, uh, uh, almost mimics Habakkuk's, Lord, what, what are you doing? Where are you? Right? How long? Lord, Vengeance belongs to you, so show yourself. Wrath belongs to you, so judge the earth. Render a reward to the proud. The psalmist is, and we see this with the next question, how long? But the psalmist is, is worn out with the wicked. The wicked are um, breaking to pieces, verse 5 says, the Lord's people. 
he, they are um, taking advantage of, they are oppressing those weaker members of society and those weaker members of the Lord's heritage, the widow, the stranger or the alien, the, 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 the fatherless. They're taking advantage. He says, Lord, vengeance belongs to you. So show yourself. Raise up, raise yourself up. Take it. Execute your judgment on the earth, Lord. Render a just reward to the proud. Now I'm throwing in that just, but that's what he's asking for. Well, you know, again, we, we come to Psalms like Psalm 94 and we just hit the first seven verses and we really do see there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, Psalm 94 is a prayer for 2022, isn't it? In more than one ways. Uh, Psalm 94 is a, is, is a prayer that's just as relevant for us as it was for whoever the writer of the psalm is here. And his, his prayer is, Lord, the wicked have exalted themselves. The wicked have abused the power that they have. The wicked oppress. They break to pieces. They, they have targeted your people and they are pressing down hard on them. Do something. Do something, Lord. Now we're going to see this as the, as the psalm goes on, but one of the things that we see here is that the psalmist realizes that unless God does something, unless the Lord builds the house, what? The laborers labor in vain. That's a good thing for us to remember in an election cycle like we're in right now. Now, you ought to go out and vote. You need to do that. You should do that. You should be ashamed if you don't do that. But your hope is not at the ballot box. Okay, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord moves, unless the Lord works behind every event and behind every act of oppression, suppression, righteousness, all of those kinds of things as far as the way nations go and the experiences that we have, it's God who raises up kings and it's God who takes them down. It's God who instates and it's God who judges and so our, where we should be going first and foremost, as we see the dysfunctions and the evils of society, is to the God who holds all things in the palm of his hand. The God who can turn the king's heart just the way he does the rivers of water. The God who has already told us that he's going to call all the wicked into account one day. Lord, vengeance belongs to you. The prayer is that you would take it. Lord, how long? Verses 3 and 4. How long? Again, we've, we've, we've talked about this before with this question, but, but the question assumes a few things. Number one, it assumes that God is actually going to do something. If you didn't think He was going to do it, you wouldn't ask how long. Um, he's already promised that this was going to happen. Number two, the question here assumes that God's actually listening to you or else why would you ask it? 
and it assumes that God plans to answer you. Okay, all three of those things, we could go, we could say more about that, but all three of those things are packed into this question of how long, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? And so it talks here about, the, or he's, he's asking here for God to take vengeance on these wicked people who crush the Lord's inheritance, the Lord's people. And then it, it ends this way, this section ends this way in verse 7. Although they're breaking to pieces, God's people, verse 5, and, and they, he's a, they're afflicting God's heritage, they slay the widow, the stranger, the fatherless, yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. What does that mean? Well, that's just kind of a poetic way of just saying they think they're getting away with it. They think God doesn't notice. They think God's not paying attention. They are mistaking God's patience with God's complacence. They've done it so long that their boldness just grows and grows and grows and multiplies and week after week and month after month and year after year, they oppress and they do the things that they do and nothing happens and they come to this conclusion, God must not be doing anything. He's probably not going to do anything. We've been doing this so long and nothing has happened. And so this is a prayer for vengeance. Number two, starting in um, verse eight, verses eight through twelve, we have a warning for fools. A prayer of vengeance followed up by a warning for fools. Verse eight: Understand, you brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will you be wise? He that planted the ear shall he not hear? He that formed the eye shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen shall not he correct. He that teacheth man knowledge shall not he know. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. What's he saying here? Again, this is just a poetic way as he's, as he's laying this out. He's taking a break for a minute from speaking to God and the psalmist begins to speak to the heathen. He begins to speak to the wicked. And he says, understand this. Again, this is all poetic. Essentially, the message is, God hears everything you say. That's true for all of us, by the way. God's omniscience makes for a good sermon and a very uncomfortable reality if we embrace it as absolutely true. God hears every word we utter. God sees everything you do. God will not be mocked. This whole thing about um, God bringing chastisement. Galatians 6-7, you're going to reap what you sow. God's not going to be mocked. He's put his name on the line here. And he said, I'm not going to be the one that comes up at the short end of this. I'm not going to be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Or Romans 2 6 God will render to every man according to his deeds. You're not going to outrun the things that you have done, the things that you have said, the things that you have thought. 
The only way anyone outruns those as far as God's wrath and God's vengeance is by taking refuge in Jesus Christ. That makes this omniscient God to be a pretty nitpicky guy, doesn't it? If you think about that. And he's just as nitpicky with the wicked. Okay? So sometimes we think we are so enraged by what's happening. Well, the truth is we don't know the half of what's happening. God knows every single detail and every single motive behind every single person that is oppressing his people and abusing their power through wickedness. Isn't that something? And so verses 10b through 11, he that teacheth man knowledge, of course it's in italics here, but it's it's uh, fleshing out the meaning here. He that teaches man knowledge Shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Again, it's just reinforcing. God knows everything that you say, think, and do. He knows all the vain things, the empty things that are in the heart and mind of man outside of his mercy and grace. So Psalm 94 begins by speaking to the, speaking to God, Lord, take vengeance. Based on that, he turns his attention to the wicked and he says, you better pay attention and you better understand something. It may seem like you're getting away with things right now, but you're not. Then he turns his attention one more time here, verses 12 through 15. So we had a prayer for vengeance, a warning for fools. Starting in verse 12, we have a blessing for the upright. A blessing for the upright. It says, blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his offspring, neither will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. So a blessing for the, for the upright. This is uh, worded kind of like a beatitude here. Blessed is the man. That is just blessed is blessed is the person who, speaking of in relation to the Lord, blessed is the person who you chastise or correct. Blessed is the person who you correct from your law. Now, why would, I mean, why in the world would he put that there? He just got finished saying, Lord, would you take vengeance? How long? These people are crushing your people. And oh, you fools who think you're getting away with it all because nothing seems to be happening. Something's going to happen. And blessed are you when God corrects you. That just seems out of place, doesn't it? But it's not. There's really a comparison here. You know, the wicked think that they're uh, getting off scot-free because they're not experiencing any hindrances from the Lord in the moment. And what what the psalmist here is going to do is he's going to contrast as he's speaking to the righteous, he begins to address the righteous. And he says, blessed are you when God takes the time to correct you from his law. You know, God's going to judge. God's going to provide correction to every single soul that's ever existed. That will happen. 
Blessed are you when God uses his law to correct you and to turn you while you're here on this earth. That's a blessed thing, isn't it? One of these days, God's going to correct the wicked with his wrath and with his vengeance. He says, blessed are you when this is the case for you. Blessed are you when this 12b, when you are taught or when the Lord teaches you from his law. Now, there's more than one reason why he's saying this. It's not just all a contrast. He says, verse 13, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. What kind of rest? Well, rest in, in, in the hope of his law, the hope of his word. The truth is, eventually one day the wicked will fail. The Psalms say several times that the wicked, that God will make the wicked to fall into their own pit. We know that one of these days the wicked's reign will come to an end. Had If you didn't know that, you would have no reason to hope and you certainly would have no reason to ask God to take vengeance or take hope in the God of vengeance. But the Lord teaches us from his word what is the end of the wicked. The other thing in verses 14 through 15 that we can rest in, that we can take hope in, is that despite the way things might look, the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance, but judgment shall return. That is, justice shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. That is, this moment in history is not the end. Okay, What seems to be right now is not the way things will always be. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the sharpest description of reality that we could lay out tonight is that the righteous are headed toward glory and the wicked are headed toward hell. Okay? It doesn't look like that. Those wicked who are headed toward hell look like they're lavished with the world's material blessings. And many of the righteous who are headed toward glory look like the most impoverished people you've ever seen. But don't let looks fool you. God will not forsake His people. A blessing for the upright. And then lastly, verses 16 through 23, a refuge and a defense. A refuge and a defense. Verse 16, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my helper, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delighted my soul. Now, think about that. What's he saying here? He takes verses 16 through 19 to simply repeat this reality, and that is our help and comfort, it comes from the Lord. Our help and comfort comes from the Lord. Now, the Lord may use other people. He may use other means, but the way that the psalmist lays this out, listen again, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And then verse 17, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. 
In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delighted my soul. You see, God's a refuge for his people. God knows how to miraculously sustain in the midst of difficulties and trials. God knows how to strengthen the righteous in the face of oppression. He says, Lord, who is going to be my help? Well, it's you. You're the one who kept my foot from slipping. You were merciful. You're the one who provided comfort to my soul through my thoughts of you and your ways. So our help and comfort come from the Lord. And then lastly, in verses 20 through 23, he says, Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense and my God is the rock of my refuge. He shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. What's he saying? If our comfort and our help comes from the Lord, then the next obvious reality that we must embrace is that our hope and trust must be in Him and in Him alone. That's where our hope is. That's where our trust is. If we're thinking about a rock somewhere we can place our, uh, somewhere safe, that's what a refuge is, somewhere safe that you can place your hopes and you can place your trust, well, it's the Lord. He's eternal. He doesn't change. He reigns. And while political parties may rise and fall, and while the wicked find themselves in power for a season, and maybe the righteous for another season, until the Lord comes back, it is going to be a yo-yo. And that doesn't mean we can't rejoice when things are good and that we can't lament when things are bad. But what it does mean is we do not place our hopes in the kingdom of men or in men that have our same agenda or men who would look out for us. Our hopes are placed in God and in God alone. So that doesn't mean that we neglect to give thanks when the blessings occur because when good men and righteousness exalts a nation, it's because God is blessing that nation. It's because God is raising up those men. It's because God is giving them the strength, the backbone, and the conviction to lead the way that they ought to lead. And so again, we say our trust and our hope is in God and it's in God alone. And if that's the case, we're going to be on our knees before the Lord praying for our country, praying for our leaders, praying for our children and grandchildren, praying that the Lord would sustain, strengthen, and ultimately praying that God would bless us to trust that He is a God of vengeance, and vengeance belongs to Him. And since it belongs to Him, we don't have to trouble ourselves with that. We don't have to try to take that for ourselves. When we do that, we sin against God and we sin against others. But the life of faith says, Lord, this belongs to You, and I want to leave it at Your feet and trust that You will do what's right at the right time. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we again, we thank you for your word and we, we do um, acknowledge, we do in many ways stand in awe of the fact that just how relevant um, this Psalm 94, uh, far, far removed 
from our time in history, from our culture even, and yet we can relate to it and identify with it so well. And so, Lord, would you bless us to put our hope and to put our trust in the God in whom vengeance belongs. Would you bless us to look to you for our comfort, for our peace, for our strength. Father, I pray you would bless us not to be the brutish fool who thinks you're not seeing, you're not hearing, and you don't know the things that are going on in our hearts and lives. And Father, I pray that you would bless us and strengthen us in our faith, that we might place our hope and our trust in you and in you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.